As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our sins from us. For he himself knows whereof we are made. He remembers that we are but dust. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'll never forget a conversation that I had in a hospital room one day in Connecticut when I was in seminary. I was visiting a woman who'd been suffering for years with a number of different health problems and had been in and out of the hospital a couple of times over the last few months. She was sick and she was tired. And after a few minutes of introductions and small talk that felt like pulling teeth, she looked at me with her eyes full of despair and said, I just don't know why God would do this to me. I thought I was a good person my whole life. I always tried to do the right thing, and I thought that I had. I guess I was wrong. I suddenly realized in that moment why she wasn't so happy to have a hospital chaplain dropping by her room. She really believed that God was punishing her for something, but she had no idea why. And it broke my heart, really, to hear that the spirituality, the faith, that could have been a comfort to her in that moment when she was not well, had made her pain worse instead. Now, I don't know where along the way through life she learned this idea. Maybe she was taught as a child by teachers or by parents trying to get her to behave that if she followed the rules, God would reward her, and if she broke them, she'd be punished. Maybe she'd attended a church where preachers told her that mortality was Adam and Eve's punishment for their primordial sin, or where they hammered home Paul's statement that the wages of sin is death. Maybe it was just her own anxiety in the face of suffering, that need to have some control over what's happening in your life, that feeling that surely there must be an explanation, even if you don't know what it is. More likely, it was all of those things, and many more, all at once, because it takes a lifetime of experiences to really have the kinds of ideas that we have about suffering and pain and where God fits into it. And it certainly takes more than one hospital visit from a shiny young seminarian to unlearn some of those things. And I felt completely powerless. All I could do was listen to what she said. You might think at first that the tenor of our Ash Wednesday service might be part of the problem. On Ash Wednesday, after all, our liturgy combines two themes, sin and death, repentance and mortality. Its two special features are the imposition of ashes and the litany of penitence. With one breath, we remind one another that we are but dust, and to dust we will return. And with the next, we confess that even for creatures made mostly out of mud, our lives are pretty messy, and we ask God's forgiveness for the many ways in which each one of us falls short. This Ash Wednesday service begins the long and penitential season of Lent, and so you can understand why somebody might think that there's a causal connection between these two things. If, as Paul says, the wages of sin is death, then maybe it's my individual failings, the things I need to repent for on Ash Wednesday, that explain my own suffering, the mortality I face on the same night. 
And yet I can't help but notice that in our scripture readings this evening, that's not what God seems to be telling us. I think maybe in part it's because we live in a very different world from the world they lived in 2,000 years ago. The ancients assumed that misfortune must be the result of divine punishment from one god or another for sins known or unknown or simply because the gods were cruel. The prophet Joel acknowledges the gloom and doom of the coming day of the Lord, the army unlike any other that's coming to bring judgment, but that's not really his point. The point that he wants to make is not that God will punish the people or that the people have sinned, but that God will forgive them, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so it's never too late, Joel says, even now you can return and God will embrace you as God's own. Fast forward a few hundred years and when Paul talks about sin and suffering, it couldn't be further from what my poor patient in Connecticut had learned in her life. For Paul, the difficulty of this life, the depth of his suffering, is not a sign of God's judgment on him for some hidden sin. In fact, it's the very opposite. It's the proof for Paul that he must be doing something right. If suffering in this life is a measurement of God's love, then Paul's world is a world turned upside down, in which we are treated as impostors and yet are true, as unknown and yet are well-known, as dying and yet we are alive. Paul lists the calamities and misfortunes that have happened to him, the punishment he's borne for the sake of Christ, not as a moment of doubt that God is on his side, but as a testament to the strength of his own faithfulness in the face of the suffering the world has inflicted on him. Paul is left with nothing, he says, and yet by the grace of God he finds that he possesses everything. But for me, this year at least, the aha moment really came in the psalm. The moment that finally makes sense of this connection between sin and death, repentance and mortality. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, the psalmist says, just like Joel does and many of the prophets did, slow to anger and of great kindness. God has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our wickedness. And it's that same message of divine mercy and grace that we hear. But there's something more in this psalm. The psalmist says, as a father cares for his children, so does the Lord care for those who fear him. For he himself knows whereof we are made. He remembers that we are but dust. In that line we pick up as we give the ashes every year. But it's that for that gets me. Did you hear it? So does the Lord care for those who fear him, for he knows whereof we are made. God, it's true, is full of compassion and mercy. God does not deal out a punishment that fits our crimes. God has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. God cares for us like little children, for, because God knows whereof we are made because God remembers that we are dust. It's not that we are mortal and fragile, sick and suffering because God is punishing us. We are mortal and we are fragile. We do get sick 
and we do suffer, and God sees us, and God loves us, for God knows we are but dust. And as far as the east is from the west, God removes our sins, because God has that divine empathy and compassion for us. God knows us exactly as we are, and that's why God loves us so deeply. Our suffering is not God's wrath. It's the source of God's compassion, God's choice to come alongside us and help us bear that load. So tonight, this Ash Wednesday, this Lent, remember that you are but dust. Your greatest achievements, the things in life of which you are the most proud, will one day be dissolved. Your youth, your health, if you still have them, will crumble into ash. Even the most powerful legacy will fade away one day. But the same exact thing is true of all your flaws. Your deepest shame, your darkest moments, the ineradicable issues you wish that you could fix but can't, will one day float away like so much dust on the wind. There is nothing that you can carry with you, no shame or pain that will last forever, no mistake that can never be undone. And God sees you as you are, dusty as you may be, and God knows you, and God loves you, for God knows whereof you are made. God knows you are but dust. And God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Amen.